Well, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to walk through this chapter together, and we're going to call it Meaningless. And you're saying, well, meaningless? Why are we here? Can we leave now? No, 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 no. We've gathered to worship the Lord and to be true to His Word. And uh, the thought occurred to me this week, I got so fired up in the last several weeks preaching Romans 8, and then last week kicking off Ecclesiastes, I forgot to give you the last principle. Nobody called me out on it. Probably the tech team. I don't, I don't know what's behind me. I mean, y'all can make faces at me. I probably should not say that out loud. But anyway, and I wouldn't know what's going on back there. One time I was doing a funeral in here. <laughs> True story. And everybody was looking at me and smiling. And that's really uncomfortable because like, there was this big video song. And they kept staring at me and staring at me. And I was like, like you know, like I'm checking things. You know, we'll just leave it. You know, I was checking. And, and I didn't know. And, and then people were smiling. And I was like, man, this is uncomfortable. And then out of the periphery of my eye, I realized there was a great video going on behind me. So I never know what's going on back there. I just thought I'd share that with you. But I want to give you the second principle from last week, just to write it in there. Under the sun, S-U-N, we don't change. But under the sun, the S-O-N, everything begins to change. The Son of God changes everything. The church said, it's the Son. It's Jesus. I think about my own personal testimony and many of yours that I've heard how Christ became real to you, how he invaded your life. He transformed you. You were walking this path. The Bible says you repented. And as you repented, there was a change. There was a new direction, a new course, a new leader. It just became rich. And so Ecclesiastes, here's this guy we said last weekend was the wisest man that's lived. God granted him because he didn't ask for palaces and pleasures and these other things. He asked for wisdom. But then God gave him so much more because he wanted to be wise. So if he came in here, he would be the most intelligent man here on the universe, in the planet, just off the chart, brilliance, intelligent uh, capacity is really good. And yet, this morning, I I'm talking about meaningless. And, and uh, here, Solomon talks about chasing it's like chasing the wind. Have you ever caught the wind? I thought about this this morning. I was up early just trying to close up on this message, and this thought came to me. And, and I remembered as a kid, and I started laughing. I mean, I'm in my study by myself, so I'm sure if Donna came there, like, what's he laughing about? But you know how a dog, it'll be out there on the road, and a car comes by, and, and it just takes off chasing it? And I've often wondered, what are you going to do when you catch it? Just think about that for a minute. If you're, I know we have leash laws and we don't have as many dogs. You're like, hey, come to my neighborhood, you said. <laughs> we have dogs. But I, I, matter of fact, I remember years ago, about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I used to have some youth that lived over here in your uh, neighborhood, Gloria. And, and I remember one time going to see them, and I had dogs chasing me all through the neighborhood. And I thought about letting them catch one of my tires, but I didn't. That wouldn't have been very spiritual. Okay, so here we go. But, you know, we chase stuff. We go get it. We pursue it. We buy it. We get it. And we got it. <laughs> and then it rusts and batteries go bad and paint falls off the wall. And you have to repaint it. Or, or if you got kids, they like color on it and they, you know, put all kinds of stuff on there. But basically, when you read Solomon, when you read Ecclesiastes, he goes, life's meaningless. It's just mere vanity. And we talked about last weekend, vanity just means empty. I mean, this life under the sun, S-U-N, always leaves a void. It just never seems to add up. I mean, you're looking for the next one and the next one and the next one. So, and then you think, well, if only I could be king, then I would be in control. <laughs> oh, we're writing about a king in a kingdom. His name was Solomon. I was reading just this morning again in 1 Kings about 
his dominion and his ability to rule over nations and governors and man and brilliant mind. He was the king. So we don't have to think, if I was the king, if I was the president, then I wouldn't have need. Then I would be satisfied. No, you wouldn't. You'd still be chasing the wind. It's just the way we're made under the sun. Under the sun, just write this thought down. Under the sun is a horizontal pursuit. It's a horizontal relationship. You pursue everything this side. You don't take time to look up to the sun. You just live on this level. And when you do horizontally, you just you get squished. Oh, there, there's some joy in relationships. Don't hear me not say that. I love community. I, Don asked me yesterday, what really gives you life? And I go, living in community, speaking into others' lives, others speaking to me, building Christ-centered disciples. That and preaching are the two things that I love most. I love connecting with people. Some of you are like, well, I don't. I take medicine because I don't like people. Okay. But that's why I live. I live to breathe. I live to pursue God. I live to pursue you, to push you toward the one that is Redeemer. Can we praise his holy name? He's the one that matters. If you forget me, big deal. If you forget you, little deal. But if you forget God, it's everything. Let's move on. So look here. Fill it in. Wisdom is meaningless. If we just went back in chapter 1, and I won't read back over it, but it just he says, hey, it's meaningless. There's a, there's a personal path here, and this path is a path of learning. And I um, encourage you and me, let's always be pursuers of truth and knowledge. Peter says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pursue, learn. Uh, a leader is a reader. I always say that. Everybody gets tired of me hearing it, but I just believe that. I mean, it's fun to learn, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But, but the Apostle Paul said it one day this way. He goes, but knowledge in itself, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge in its own leads to pride. Have you ever been prideful because you thought you knew more than anybody else about a given subject? Sure, we've all been there. Maybe you've been there recently. And Paul would go, no, that's not the way of the kingdom. So there's an inward look of man, and there's a looking around. I read this, I like it, it says, we, when we look around, we get distressed. When we look within, we get depressed. But when we look to Jesus, then we get at rest. Looking to Jesus. I mean, Solomon, I went back and I started reading about his life, and you read Kings, and he had some incredible prayers. He was a, a man of prayer. He had prayers of the dedication of the temple. There were some great things going on in the life of Solomon. But you get to Ecclesiastes, and he's older in life, and he gets his eyes off God. And he got his eyes on women, and he got his eyes on the world, and he got his eyes on a lot of things. And, and the women that he got his eyes on, they, were, they worshiped foreign gods. And the father wasn't happy with Solomon because he, he missed it. He just he, he got away. Some would say, well, education's the answer, and I'm all about education. I think we ought to go to school. I think we ought to get all the education we can. That's good. But do y'all believe education in itself is going to fix anything? No. There are plenty of people got education. Some people got multiple, multiple degrees and multiple PhDs and THDs and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can just have degrees. It's like if education was the answer, then we would go to university and we would just worship. There would be tranquility and peace and knowledge would abound and the university would have it. But is that true? I went to university and went to two. In the university, oh, there's, there's a lot of smart people. Some people think they're smarter than God. Nitschke and those great philosophers, there is no God. But we're watching a film here on Wednesday night coming up on the 16th. God is not dead. 
encourage you to come. So here it is. So Solomon realizes, hey, I'm pursuing. But y'all, if, if you stay on the horizontal and you never pursue the vertical connection with God, then you're, just, you're going to come to the conclusion that the wisest man ever lived. Because when you just live on this plane, it just never adds up. Oh, it can have temporary seasons that are really good, but eventually it doesn't. Let's, let's look here in chapter 2. Look at verse 1. So I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. See, here he is. This is the guy that has everything. We'll see materialism and all these possessions and whatever. And he goes, but that doesn't add up. That just leaves me empty. Uh, I, I can't enjoy it to the fullest because I've left God out of the equation. I think God calls you and I to enjoy life. I said that last weekend. I want you to hear that. God is not a cosmic killjoy. How many of you believe God came and died that you would have life and have it abundant, and God wants you to enjoy a full life? How many believe that this morning? I do. But I think it's a life with boundaries and a life with order and a life of submission to him. Look at the next one. Pleasures are meaningless. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Just Pleasure pursuit, pleasure seeking on its own, it just comes up meaningless. It, we, we're, we're not, and, and, and then he goes about here. Look what he says here. Oh, but, uh, so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? How many of you think laughter is good? How many of you love to laugh? I love to laugh, man. Don't you love a good joke? You're like, well, I like some jokes that aren't good. Well, that's not good. You need to pray about transforming. There's a guy. And I used to watch him on sh some show, and I thought he was hilarious. And, and then I saw something on him, and it's like, oh, man, I had to just flip it. You know, I, you know I'm using a remote. and like, oh, man, that's horrible. Then I, had, then I heard he got saved. He got born again. He got regenerated. And then I hear he still slides a little bit. But then I've heard him giving these testimonies for Christ. You ever heard Steve Harvey? Anybody know who I'm talking about? The, the man's funny. There, there's plenty of people that are funny. Some people, are, you know, some people are, think they're funny, and we think they're funny, but really they're funny. It's not funny. It's crude. It's not blessing to the Lord. It's not fitting for Christ followers. We'll, we'll keep moving here. But then there's this show I like to watch. Me and Donna do. I, I think he's funny. I think he's a great writer. Everybody loves Raymond. How many of you have ever watched Everybody Loves Raymond? Just raise your hand. Changed your life, didn't it? No, probably not. How many of you ever laughed? Yeah, I mean, I laughed. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. Some of you go home this afternoon and start watching it. No, that's not my goal. Laughter is good in itself. But if, if but laughter, you know what I've even found when you're really around somebody that's really funny? You're still empty. Oh, it's good for the moment, but it never ultimately satisfies. And you know what I found about laughter? Laughter takes the edge off the pain and off reality. So I think there's a time for laughter. Don't hear me saying that. I know some of y'all are like, man, you're, you're funny. And I think Jeff said the other day, I'm cheesy. I didn't like that. But I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I, I mean, y'all laugh about that more than you do my jokes. Okay, well, that, that's awesome. But a lot of times they're funny. Sometimes I humor myself and I laugh. And sometimes I'm not funny. I remember one time somebody says, you laugh too much. will not you be serious? I'm like, really? Really? It's who I am. It's how God's made me. I pursue him. I want to be holy. But I think it's okay to laugh. So let's move on here. So laughter is kind of a crackling noise. It leaves us with a sense of unfulfillment. We talked about that. And then fill it in, point A. There's a path of partying. Solomon says, I'm just going to party. I'm a, you know, he's, he's the first, he's the original party animal. I mean, Solomon, Solomon knew how to throw a, throw a party because Solomon had untold riches. I mean, he, he could do anything he wanted to. I mean, he could enjoy pleasure. He could throw a party. He had the ability to do that. He was hedonistic. Uh, 
1 Kings chapter 4, just write it down on the side. When you read 1 Kings chapter food, four, chapter food, chapter 4, you'll see why I'm saying food. You see the daily food requirements for all the people that served in the kingdom of Solomon. It was an amassed amount of food. It would like empty Publix out. Look, if you went to Publix after Solomon, It'd be like a hurricane. Hey, have, you, have you ever been to the beach and everybody got there before you? Or there's a hurricane in the city and you're going to get bread or milk and there's not none. And how many of you went, praise God? You didn't say praise God. You were ticked off. Well, this guy, every day, he, he just, he, so he threw these parties. In verse 3, he talks about wine, he talks about drinking, he talks about the glass at hand and ambitions and foolishness and reckless pursuits and, and, and basically... 3,000 years ago, we get this literature that we're reading today in 2014. And, and here's the thought. If you don't hear anything I said today, I want you to hear this. Hear this. Apart from God, life is empty. I tried it. Have you tried it? Sure you have. You've been born again? Then you've decided to leave that behind. And you're trying to grow in Christ. But I remember for the first 18 years, at night, right after I turned 19, I came to Christ. Because the bottom line is I had some really good things happening in my life, and I thought things were good, but it was empty. And then Jesus, I met him. And he was the fulfillment of the Father. And he was the fulfillment of Scripture. And he was life eternal. And then he told me to forgive my sins, and he told me he loved me, and he pursued me, and he led me on a new path. How many of you are grateful for the path that Jesus has put you on, church? If you're not excited about that, then, man, I ain't got anything for you. So all in this chapter 2, the other chapters, experimentation is a big way for Solomon. He experiments in life. He just, he, and, and then he, look here, the path of building, point B. There's a path of building. This guy has so much money, he could build anything. He built palaces. He built the temple of God. Spent years doing this. He spent fortunes doing that. He, he gave him to himself his own house, took 14 years to build. Can you believe that? I, I read different things that said he had 100,000 workers and he had 80,000 that like got stuff over there. Now, you've got to remember, they didn't have uh, uh, Caterpillar moving equipment and they didn't have some of the stuff we had, but they had thousands and thousands of bodies and they built this incredible structures. And, and this guy had the ability, so he thought building. Some of his foundation stones were 12 by 12 foot. And some of the, the, the metals were precious that he used. And then in southwest of Jerusalem, there's a place that's seldom visited by tourists. But there's a place there called the Pools of Solomon. Those pools were created for leisure, and they were created to water the vineyards. They were massive, and he had many of these. And you're just like, wow, this guy, I mean, it just, one I read about, the average length of his pools were 420 foot long by 220 foot wide, and they were 40 to 50 foot deep. Is that a pool or what? He trumped Donald Trump on this stuff, folks. That was cheesy, but I thought it was funny. I, 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 I don't know, it just came to me. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, you laughed, you laughed, and the rest of you like, I want to laugh, but I'm not going to give him that. Okay, right, here we go. So, posh lavish do you get the idea of solomon that he was all about a posh big luxurious life but he came to a conclusion it's empty under the sun it's meaningless so solomon uh after devoting himself to spectacular construction programs matter of fact I, i'll just write in the side today this isn't in your notes but i want to give it to you solomon begins to use a pronoun that's very dangerous when I use it and you use it. What is it? It starts with a letter. 
brought to you by the letter I, okay? I. He says this. He goes, I made, I built, I made myself, I made myself, I did this. Anytime you and I start using the word I, 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 something's wrong. We've definitely taken our eyes off him and we put it on ourselves. And Solomon, he here, as I said, you, read, you have to read the scripture in context and you read Kings. He's a great guy and he loves God. And then he gets distracted and he gets his eyes off the Lord and it begins to be him. And then the point C is there's a path of acquiring things. He acquires everything that his eyes see, everything that he needs. He says, man, this, this is what I'll get. He just went, he went and bought people. He had slaves. He had different things. He just had all these things. He says, I, whatever I want, investment, slaves, flocks, whatever, I get them. Uh, designer clothing, you name it, Solomon got it. And I don't think he just got a few. I think, I think he got a lot. I think he got all he wanted. And he climbed, some historian said that he climbed golden steps in order to reach his golden throne, that he ate from golden plates and he drank from golden vessels because he had so much wealth. But listen to what 1 Kings 10, 21, silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. It was so low. It was not even considered a precious metal in his kingdom because gold was so much higher. You're like, I'll just take his silver. <laughs> this guy was rich. And we see the decadent lifestyles of the rich and famous, and we see the, the star athletes, and we see the movie stars. And how many times do you just look at their life and you just go, wow, what a mess. What a debauchery. What sin. What craziness. And then suicides and drug addictions and rehab and all that is just off the chart for the people that have wisdom and they have money and they have movies and they have popularity and they have Ferraris and they have whatever they want. And they just go, if they would just read Ecclesiastes, if somebody's watching this, maybe, I don't know if a movie star is going to watch this, but if somebody just watched this right now, he started reading Ecclesiastes and go, I'm coming to the same conclusion that Solomon did. It's empty. Ben Franklin says that no man ever achieves happiness through money. The more he has, the more he wants. And that's true of us. This guy, you, you look at entertainment, you look at things. He had bands, he had party. I guess he was the original first Las Vegas, you know? I mean, he, he threw incredible parties. The Bible says that he composed 1,005 songs by himself. He had the Jerusalem Philharmonic Choir and band. I mean, he, this, this guy, if, I think he even had comedians. He, had, he just had whatever he wanted because he would just go out and say, I'll buy you, I need you, I want this. But here, here's what I'm trying to say. You and I can go pursue stuff in little ways because we'll never have the luxury and the, and the money and the, the wealth that Solomon did. And definitely not in the mind. But I promise you one thing. I want you to hear me. Young people, I want you to hear me. Everybody, I want you to hear this. You can pursue this world. And it's going to flee. And you can pursue this world and sin is going to be fun. The Bible promises sin is fun for a season. But then it has a payday. If sin wasn't fun, you and I wouldn't do it. I mean, I, I know, you know, sin is fun. But sin is grievous unto the Lord. Sin put Jesus on a cross. Sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be atoned for. And praise God, we live on this side of grace. Is anybody thrilled about grace as much as I am? I need the grace and the blood of Jesus to cover me just like you do. So here it is. So pleasurable for a season. And then verse 11, he's built all his vanity, money, houses, all this stuff, all these investments. Basically, I think he said, hey, I'm becoming irresponsible. I think that's what Solomon did. 
But I don't want to just slam him. I'm thinking, man, we're the same way if we begin to take our eyes off the Lord. So look at verse 10. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. So one thing here is, if we don't deny ourselves things, we're going to get in trouble. The scripture tells us. He's, he's very clear. It's, it's not the accumulation of more things. And, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I like things. You like things, or at least I think you do. But if that's my goal in life is just to accumulate more, then I'm going to miss the ultimate meaning of who Christ is and what he came for. Um, I, w- I would write this thought down. Spiritual hunger can never be satisfied by the physical. Yours and my spiritual hunger will never be satisfied by the physical things of this world. I would even go this far. Spiritual hunger can never be satisfied by relationships under the S-U-N. They can only ultimately be satisfied in Christ. He's a pleasure-filling, abundant, eternal God. Jesus just said, I'm the bread of life. And I go, Lord, I need some. Thirst for me. He, one place in Scripture says, life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. And Solomon, many years before in the New Testament, he, he's, he's letting me and you know, it's not going to be an abundance of things because, guys, I got things. I mean, you read Kings, you read Ecclesiastes, you go, this man's got everything you can think of and then some. So the joy and the pleasure of material things, the gifts, and, and, and then you, you look at some of the family, the grandson of the Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and the Babylonian Empire, and they overplay their hands, and then they go into the treasury, and they begin to pull out the gold and the coins and the goblets and all these things. And, 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 and then there's this finger that appears on the wall, and he, he's really confused, and he's out of his mind. And, he, and there's, this, there's this guy named Daniel. He's never wrong. He can prophesy. He can tell you what it says. And then as you read a little bit more, it says, but, but this God, Jehovah, he owns all your ways. He owns everything. Every breath is from him. Would you put that in your spirit right now? Every breath comes from God. Every time somebody dies, they've taken their last breath. They had breath the Lord had given them for a season, for a life. But everything is the Lord's. Lord, I've been studying this principle for the last few months. Just like, I own nothing. And i got to tell you, you don't own own anything either. We, We don't. He owns it all. Do you believe that, church? You're saying, well, I'm glad he owns my air conditioner because it went out. Maybe he could pay for it. No, no, he didn't want your junk. But give him your air conditioner. How about your good stuff? I do that sometimes when I'm just worshiping. I go, Lord, I just want to be reminded today. I want to tell you what you already know. I don't own anything. You own it all, Father. It's all yours. I resurrender my stuff right now back to you. And if you want to take it, then blessed be the name of the Lord. If you want to give me something, hey, bless the name of the Lord. But Lord, it's yours. And that's relationships, and that's money, and that's health. How many of you are grateful for your health right now? Yeah. And that belongs to him too. So we acknowledge him. You know, I was thinking about the agnostic that is thankful, but he has no one to acknowledge. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. I mean, you're atheistic in nature, or you're agnostic, and you don't believe in the one true God, and you're grateful. Who do you thank? Yourself? <laughs> That's empty, isn't it? How many of you find it fun to thank God for the blessings that he gives you daily? I do. 
A lot of my prayer life is about thank you. God, I'm grateful. I'm not thankful enough. But if you read my journals, you'll see a lot of thank yous because I'm just enamored with who he is and who I'm not. So I read this, and I told you the other day, it's the journal of despair. It's the journal of a pessimist. <laughs> I mean, Solomon's not the guy I want my party. Now, I want Solomon to pay for my party. But I don't, I mean, how many of you are like, hey, man, Pastor Keith said everybody come over, stay three weeks. He's got these big pools. He's got plenty of uh, food, but he said Solomon can't come. Everybody want to come, wouldn't you? I mean, who wants to hang around a pessimist? Probably not. You're saying, well, that's why I'm alone. No, okay, here we go. You know, I read this. It says, sometimes life's like cutting candy, an ounce and a half of sugar, and you spin it all up, and it's real fluffy, but it's just fluff. I mean, how many of you have been disappointed when you bit into cotton candy? I mean, I haven't had cotton candy in years. I mean, I, I remember when I used to go to the fair and I'd get cotton candy, but even after I got to eat, I went, this is just gross. But, you know, you're like tearing your head up. You know, you're sticking your head in the middle of it. You know, you're eating, you know. And then you just, all you did was it, you ate air. You, you air ahead. I don't, I don't know what it was. It was just, it was just gross. Let me, let me tell you another thing that Solomon did. He pursued, write it in, wisdom and folly, verse 12 through 16. Man, he was intellectual. He wanted wisdom. God gave him wisdom. I mean, he pursued that. He had great intellectual capacity. And, uh, and yet, the guy that was so smart... Can I just say this? He was so dumb. <laughs> he turned from God. <laughs> he turned from the one that gave him life, that gave him blessings, that gave him leadership. He turned from him. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's just crazy. In, in verse 12, it, it, his statements here, they're authoritative. He goes, hey, I know about this. He, I know about materialism. I know about all these things that I've been trying to delineate with you. Solomon knows. And yet, I think Solomon's a real candidate for the now generation. He made it all about me, all about me, all about me. I think if Solomon could come in here today, he'd go, hey, guys, I have, I mean, people would travel from far away to hear this brilliant man speak and be an orator. And yet he, he messed up, living under the sun, thinking that the sun, the S-U-N, would handle it. Um, and then let's just continue to go here. Look, look here in... Uh, Verse 12, I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, or who can do this better than I, the king? I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is being better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish should share the same fate. Both will die. There was one thing that I think when I read and study Solomon, he was fearful of death. He couldn't escape death, and neither can you and I. Every person, Christian, non-Christian, Every person has to face death. And I think he begins to say this. Death is the great equalizer in life. One out of one dies. We die. The wealthy die. The poor die. The smart die. The dumb die. Just We all have it in common here. And time tarnishes things and things become fuzzy and hazy and it gets really rough for us. But ultimately, we're going to die. And so, you, so you read this and it is kind of a journal of despair. And, and then move over here. To, uh, so he says, since I went up with the same as the fool, what's the value of my wisdom? This is also meaningless for the wise and the foolish. They both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything I've done under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Remember my illustration when I opened? The dog chasing the car? That's what Solomon thought life under the sun was. It just... It, it didn't add up. And then I would write in here, 
work is meaningless. Now, I'm not saying quit your job. I think work's important, and God created us to work, and it has value. But work in itself is monotonous, is mundane, doesn't add ultimate value to our life. And, and, and Solomon had this big hole, and, and he had all these horizontal things, but he basically said, I'm bored. Have you ever been bored? <laughs> Somebody said, amen. And sometimes we get bored because we make foolish choices. And we chase the pleasures of this world. God says, life can be bland and insipid and dull and bad. Or life can be full and adventurous and purposeful and meaning under the Son of the Lord Jesus, uh, the Son of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I came to Christ. That's, what, that's the biggest thing I remember. Life had value and meaning now. I never read Ecclesiastes that I remembered. I just know when I came to Christ, it's like people would ask me, I go, I have abundant life. Life has meaning to me now. I'm not afraid of death. Matter of fact, I want to live. I want to live full. So this key of work here, I think Solomon is a workaholic. He works, he's a manager. He works through all these people. And, he, and, and then, then he gets worried about passing his inheritance on to his kids. And he has this one kid. His name is Rehoboam. And he ended up losing like half the kingdom. And he, man, he was sinful and wicked. Read about him in Kings. I mean, it was bad. And you know, I hear that today. Some people are like, I ain't leaving all my money to my kids. I ain't working all my life. They're going to spend it. I'm going to spend it. And you got all these philosophies in this life. Okay, I understand that. But life, you know. And then, and then sometimes people have said this to me, Pastor. You know, I got a lot of life insurance. I'm like, well, good. Tithe. Give to the church. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I got a lot of life insurance. I'm like, great. They're like, and I've, I've had people tell me this. You know what my biggest fear is, Pastor? I said, what? They said, I'm going to die and leave my wife really well off. I said, man, that's great. That's your greatest fear. They go, no. And then she's going to marry somebody else, and he's going to spend all my money. <laughs> I, I've had people tell me that in this church many times. And can I tell you something? They're exactly right. Because <laughs> you're going to leave all of it. Somebody asks you, how much are you going to leave all of it? But you have some boundaries and some guidance according to God's word. We, we could talk about that for a whole, whole day. You know, you work 50, 60 hours a week, 40, whatever it is, and you use your income, you buy stuff, furniture, cars, TVs, whatever, and, uh, and you live, and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, maybe it's indifferent. Put your feet up on the coffee table. And that very coffee table you put your feet up on, somebody else is going to own it one day. I know that's depressing, isn't it? Ultimately, God just taught me that only the things that I invest in the eternity of Jesus Christ, the things that I put in the eternal perspective, the things that I give to the kingdom of God, those are the only things that will outlive me because they'll give glory to the famous one of Israel. It'll bless the holy name of God. And some of you don't believe that. I'm just going to tell you, I know that. Some of you will not tithe. You're stubborn. You're obstinate. You're sinful. And I'm begging you to be, get into the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ and let God bless you and give to investments that will outlive you through eternity. That is kingdom, church. Somebody's like, well, I, heard my, I heard my elder. He just said amen. I was listening for everybody else to say amen. A lot of people don't believe that. I mean, I, I've thought, I, I think about this a lot. You know, I study scripture, I talk to the Lord, I listen, I read these books. I mean, I've never preached Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'm reading it, I'm studying it, I'm chewing on it, and then I'm realizing, wow, what wisdom, what insight, how empty, how fulfilling Jesus is. How empty apart from God, how fulfilling in Christ. So 
Where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. Heavenly minded, invested in him. And then verse 23 talks about being filled with uh, sleep deprivation and see he's so worried about all his stuff he can't sleep do you realize that some of you don't sleep at night because you're worried about your stuff give your stuff to him say father i'm giving my stuff to you right now i'm going to bed pretty good thought huh hey did you see the story the other day on the news the woman went to bed she woke up and her bed was floating down the hall now i don't know how anybody can sleep that hard unless they're on drugs i just don't understand it i mean i, I don't think that's ever going to happen to me i'm gonna be like hey man, pastor keith he was floating down chad burton crossing i just don't think that's going to happen uh, watch me go into a coma now i don't know I, I, but you, you move into some of these verses then he finally begins in the last three verses he begins to he, he finally says i'm gonna mention god <laughs> like well i'm glad you did he's the key to contentment just put that the lord god is the only key i know to contentment it's not materialism, it's not intellectualism, it's not hedonism, it's not all the isms, it's Christ. God, I pursue you. Just a couple quick truths. Creation cannot produce satisfaction. He comes to the conclusion, eat, drink, be merry, and all this, because he's under the sun. But uh, what can you, in verse 25, what can you enjoy apart from him? Absolutely nothing. With him, he's everything. God, we love you. Second truth here is God's gift is enjoyment. God's gift to you and me is that God wants us to enjoy stuff with him. Please hear me. Hear me. Some of you are like, I like that thing of God. God gives me something. I enjoy it. No. Solomon had stuff. We've been reading. We can read about all the stuff Solomon had. Lots of stuff. Apart from Abba, from the Lord, empty. Enjoying stuff with God, fulfilling. So I just beg you today, submit your stuff to God. Lord, I surrender it to you. I give it to you. It's yours. Lord, you can replenish joy. How many of you get, believe God is a great joy replenisher? I do. God wants to replenish this house with joy. He wants you to enjoy him. So I read a story. You ever heard of Glen Erie out in Colorado Springs? It's the headquarters for the Navigators. It's a castle. And there was this guy... His name is uh, General William Jackson Palmer. He was a railroad executive, made all kind of money. And his wife was from England. And he thought to bring her to America, he needed to build her a big, fine home. So he built her like this 35-bedroom uh, castle. Oh, bless her heart. But she didn't like it. <laughs> I read one story that says she lived there two and a half weeks and she moved out. And today, this house that was built for other purposes, God used it for his glory. It, it houses the navigators, which is a tremendous uh, discipleship ministry. All I'm saying is, we can take stuff and we think, this is all about me. And ultimately, it goes to the Lord. <laughs> and Lord, just help us to give things to you. That In verse 26, I just want you to see this, and we're, and we're, we're going to wrap up. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. If you want to have knowledge and joy and favor and the blessing of God, please Him. And that's what Solomon finally figured out, man. If I'm trying to live it on my own, I'm not having much joy. My daughter painted this for me. It hangs outside my office. 
It's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, If I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation would be that I was made for another world. C.S. Lewis was one of the sharpest minds that God gave us. And sometimes when I'm right spiritually, when I'm right in the vertical, I realize I wasn't made for this world. I was made for the world in the eternal heavens. How about you? Let's pray together. Lord, this place is full of truth from your eternal, boundless word. And God, I pray that we'll run to the source today and love you and honor you and quit trying to honor and please ourselves so much and realizing that life is meaningless under the sun. But under your lordship, life begins to add up and it begins to give value. So the last blank in there says the key to commitment or the key to contentment is a commitment to God. So Lord, today we want to commit to you. Wholeheartedly we commit ourselves to you. We give you our clothes, our cars, our savings account, our check-in, our friends, our house, our dogs, whatever we got, God, we want to give everything to you. And Lord, I want to say we give you this church. It belongs to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Be exalted in the heavens. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.